Hello, Texans fans, and welcome to the program that gets you inside NRG Stadium here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. It's Texans All Access with Mark Vandermeer and John Harris, and welcome. As we discuss many things today, we'll play Who's Better? Maybe we'll even get to it in this segment, although I don't think we'll have time for it in this segment because we're going over some position group stuff, Johnny. And also, you wanted it. You got it. As Sean Pendergast was tweeting out something about which team the Texans fans hate the most and i am shocked shocked as bob ryan used to say on the sports reporters shocked that the cowboys are the number one hated team in his poll so far on his twitter account welcome my friend how's it going i'm doing well and sean should have known that he should have put one more word in his tweet his tweet is hashtag penner poll for texan fans which team do you hate the most he should have put, what team should you hate the most? Should being the key word because, well, he put three teams. I don't agree with this, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, after a little bit. But I don't, I don't agree with this at, at all because yeah. the two teams that are trailing are the two that I hate, like you say, with uh, you know poisoned breath, if you will, or however you say it. I hate them like poison. Yes. And sometimes not even just a sports hate on it. But mm-hmm. anyhow, oh, I don't know if anybody, though, could hate the Indianapolis Colts worse than Seth Payne. I love listening to Seth when he goes off on an Indianapolis rant. It's always really, really fun. Well, he w- he had to stay in his stance while Peyton Manning did all that stuff, all that Ben Stiller fake stuff that he does. Yeah, all that pointing and traffic cop directing and crossing guard duty or whatever he's doing at the line of scrimmage while the poor defensive linemen are in their stance waiting, waiting. And finally, the ball is snapped and he's and he's hitting some dude like, Ugh. I mean, Dallas Clark or Marvin Harrison or anybody back in the day when Seth Payne was playing. Anyway, let's get to this, Johnny. I promised this yesterday, so we're going to get to it. Position groups for the Texans, I think they could fall into two categories and there are probably some nuances in between one is look solid on paper. All right. This position group, whatever it may be, we'll go over that. And the other is I've got to see it to know, you know, there might be some things there, but I got to see it to know I have these ingredients. I'm going to make barbecue sauce. I'm going to make rub. I'm going to make whatever I'm going to make. I know I've got some decent ingredients, but I got to mix it all together and see if it tastes good first before I make a judgment. So you with me on that? I'm just going to go A and B there to make it super easy for us here on the radio. I could have so many different subsets, but look solid on paper. That doesn't mean it's Pro Bowl necessarily, but it looks pretty solid. Like I feel pretty good about the prospects there. Another one is I got to see it. I got to see it gel. You ready, my friend? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Let's start out with, and I'm just going to go there right now because, look, I know that with the quarterback position, we have this gigantic unknown situation. Breaking news, gigantic unknown situation occurring at the quarterback position. But you do (laughs) know that you have some guys on the roster here who are very interesting, like Terod Taylor and Davis Mills, and we'll see about Jeff Driscoll and all of that. Uh, Obviously, we don't know how it's all going to play out, but let's just go with those three guys. I think it's really fair to say it's a I've got to see it to know with those guys I do feel pretty good about especially having Taylor on the roster because he's such a solid citizen player 
Uh, he can hold it down for you. He's won some big games in this league for some teams that needed him to do that. Uh, Buffalo, most notably. So I like that about him. And we'll just see how that plays out. But are you with me there? It's like, I got to see it to to know. But I do feel pretty decent about it going in relatively. I'm going to use that word relatively very carefully here because I know that this is a way bigger story than what we're talking about right here. No doubt. However, the only thing that I would disagree with you on is if I'm disagreeing, uh-huh. you're right. We still have to kind of see it. But I sort of feel like we know what Terod Taylor is. He's a tremendous professional who is going to take care of the football. He is not going to take needless risk down the field. He's also not going to throw for 400 yards per game. You know going in that you're going to get the right decision made almost all the time. And if that means it's a check down, it's a check down. If it's a shorter throw, it's a shorter throw. He will take his shots selectively. He will not try and force it. It may not always be the prettiest looking thing, but he's going to move the sticks. I feel like we sort of know if Terod Taylor is healthy, that that's what we're going to get. Now, Davis Mills, I there's so much inexperience there that I can envision a guy with those throwing skills. I mean, you watch him throw and you're like, whoa, that's pretty. But you just don't know how that's going to translate. Is he going to be a guy that wants to take more shots in this particular offense? Is he going to take more risks down the field? I don't know that. I feel like Terod Taylor, I feel like that one I know. I feel like that one, I feel pretty good about what you're going to get from Terod Taylor. And if you're not turning the ball over and you're getting the ball out to your weapons, letting them do some things after the catch, I think there's some guys after the catch that are going to be pretty good. So it's just a matter of, Will you have the explosives down the field? I don't think you'll have those. Now, with Davis, I don't know. But I'm with you. Yeah, you do. You still have to see it in action. But I think Terod's body of work is one in which you can feel very good about the ball being taken care of, the offense being the right play, no, no silly mistakes are going to happen, and they're going to move the ball maybe a little bit uh, a chunk, not, not as chunkier, if you will. It's going to be a little bit more consistent, maybe, you know, slowly but surely down the field. But I'm totally fine with that if we're not turning the ball over and putting the ball in the end zone once we get in the red zone. All right, let's go to running backs here, Johnny. And the two categories are, A, looks good on paper. B, I got to see it to know as far as your feeling about the position group coming in. And even if you pick B, it doesn't mean you don't like it. It just means like right. you want to see it. You want to see it, right. obviously. And I think the coaches would be, you know, a lot of B groups here. They want to see everything. All right. Sure. Running backs. I feel like this is an A. Looks solid on paper. And I don't mean yeah. A in terms of the grading scale A through F. I mean, <laughs> it looks pretty solid to me. When yeah. I see, and this is assuming health, Philip Lindsay, David Johnson. I see whatever is left of Mark Ingram. And I think Mark Ingram's addition is not just about what's on the field. It's about what's off the field, which is very important, particularly for the way this Texans team in 2021 is constructed. I feel pretty good about this group going into the season again with health. We'll see, but I do like that. And that's obviously the, the aspect for two guys in particular. Now for Mark Ingram, it's, obviously age has father time caught up with him and hopefully it hasn't 
I think with David Johnson and Philip Lindsay, it just comes down to being healthy because when those guys are healthy, they're incredibly productive. So I think it looks good on paper. It's, can they, those two in particular, stay healthy? When David Johnson came back off COVID, then he got hit with the concussion. And then once he came back from the concussion, the offense really started to figure out how to use him and using him in the zone game. And then I remember Indianapolis, 11 catches in that game. They figured out, look, this guy, we can, we can throw it. We can check it down to him, and he can make some plays after the catch. I think he had 11 catches, 100-something yards. And you realize, whoa, okay, zone running back, really good out of the backfield. Can live with that. Now you throw in Philip Lindsay. Now you throw in the power and decisiveness of Mark Ingram. And you think, man, on paper, this looks pretty good. I'm with you. I think this is definitely an A category as long as guys stay healthy. If they don't stay healthy, then you've got to rely on Buddy Howe, Scotty Phillips, Dontrell Hilliard, one of those guys to step up. And at that point, you're kind of, I don't know. I've I've got to see. We saw very, very little from Buddy Howe last year, especially in that Chicago Bears game where you Mm -hmm. went, okay, maybe he can pound a little bit. But on a a 17-game basis, we don't know. I think on paper, this looks pretty solid as long as guys stay healthy. And hopefully with having two of them or having three legitimate backs, that those guys can all kind of, you know, almost like, I hate to even use the phrase, but it's kind of Patriot-like. James White, Rex Burkhead, and Sony Michelle, and they mm-hmm. kind of share the load, and it ends up being one nice running back by committee. And if you go running back by committee, the only people that lose out are the fantasy people. And I don't have a problem with that. All right, let's go to the next one, offensive line, which I think, and again, the two categories, looks good on paper, or I've got to see it to know. Look, we all have to see how they're going to put together the O-line ultimately, but I think when you look at what's there on paper, you feel pretty good about what you've got. I think it looks good on paper. We'll see how it looks in OTAs and such. Although you can't judge O-line and OTAs, you got to wait till training camp. You basically have to wait till week five. Let's be honest, especially with a group that's going to come together like this. Although you do have some returning pieces. I think you'll be with me that this is in the look solid on paper group. It does. And I think as crazy as this sounds, because Larry Tunsil is I mean, we've seen Laramie. I mean, Laramie is top five, top three tackle in the league. PFF has a number eight. I don't know if I agree with that. I think Laramie is definitely higher than that. But you know what you get with Laramie Tunsil. If the veterans that come in, Britt, Cannon in particular, Lane Taylor, those guys are healthy, feel good. I feel really good about it. To me, the X factor, honest offensive line, and maybe on this offense, is that right tackle with Titus Howard. Titus Howard's success can take this from a, we know we have offensive line to, man, this is a lot better than we thought. This is year number three. We played half of year one, dealt with the knee injury at the end of the year. We missed him in the playoffs. Year number two was kind of in, inconsistent, was good at times, was really good at times. There were times he struggled a little bit, was banged up a little bit. So there was a lot going on. This is year three. If Titus Howard locks it in, then this offensive line ends up being much better than we think. I, to me, I had, it's funny. I had this conversation with our guy, our guy Tyler Shadar today, and I felt like there are three players that really stand out to me that have got to take a year one to year two leap 
or a year two to year three gigantic leap. And Titus Howard ends up being one of them. I think Titus has proven that he has every physical capability of being great at the right tackle position. It now has to come together, play in, play out, run game, pass game, all the time. And that hasn't gotten there yet, and it has to. And here's the other thing. When you look at this team, and this is one of the reasons why, take the quarterback situation out of it for what it is. There's only one first-round draft pick that the Texans have made on this team prior to 2013 or after 2013. Right. It's Titus Howard. Yeah. He's the only one. Now, obviously, Deshaun's the other one. We don't know how that's going to go. Leave that out. Titus Howard is the only first-round draft pick. I don't know that we've made. Now, right. Laramie was one and others, you know, are on a team. Randy Cooks was first-round pick. I'm talking about Texans drafting that player. Only one. Titus has got to live up to that in year three. And I think he can. And I think when he does, this offensive line is going to be the foundation piece for this offense going forward. But he's got to get to that particular level. I'll tell you the two others are later. Okay. Well, Laramie, you have two ones invested in him. You have three well, ones you look at, invested yes. in your tackles, right? I got you. Yes. And then you have a fourth because you have Charlie Heck, who looked good as a spot guy last yep. year. And Rod yep. Johnson's back on the team. And I think that with the tackle situation here, you have a little bit of insurance. You have a little bit of depth. And, and maybe a lot of depth in a sense, you know, maybe more depth than a lot of teams have just at the tackle position, Johnny. I think that's a big plus. I think overall, Mark, it's the best depth we've seen on the offensive line here. I've, I felt like going in in 2020, well, we knew who the starting five were, but I don't know how this is going to work behind them. I'm not totally sure about that. Even going into 2019, after Titus and Max were drafted, you felt like, well, I don't know how they fit together. And, of course, Laramie came in. But I always felt like the depth wasn't quite where it needed to be. Now you look at guys like Justin McCray, Lane Taylor, Justin Britt, Marcus Cannon. If Laramie and Titus are your tackles, then those four guys for three spots, those are all experienced NFL starters and pretty good ones when they're healthy. So having the depth, and like you said, Rod and Charlie Heck to go with Laramie and uh, Titus, you know me. I've always said, man, you're going to win with the lines. Offense, defensive line, that's where you're going to win the game. And this, to me, is where it's going, having depth, a deep offensive, defensive line. And that's where this group can go to a different level, in particular, Titus taking it there, Again, as long as you can have Marcus, Justin, Lane Taylor, those guys be healthy. And then look, the other key is Mike, Max Sharping. Where does he fit into all this? But to me, Titus is that much more important because he was a first-round pick. I, I know we don't worry about where a guy was drafted, but when you put a first-round, when you only had one first-round pick and you put that investment in an offensive lineman, that guy's got to produce. He's been good, but he can be that much better and then your offensive just entire output goes to a different level when he matches his skill level, which is very, very high. He's just got to get to that point in year three. All right. The two categories for a position group evaluation for where we are right now in OTAs look solid on paper or I've got to see it to know. Let's continue with the offense. 
wide receivers to me look this looks solid on paper i thought last year's looked solid on paper look what they did they were deeper than i thought last year because they ended up needing to use everybody the first four guys they had last year i thought were going to be really good as a group it turned out they went through all four of them at one point or another and then had to go really deep because you didn't know what kiki qt was going to do Chad Hansen, you didn't know any of this stuff. And they ended up having to use all those guys. And we all know the story that they led the league in passing. But this year's group, Johnny, as long as Cooks is healthy, all right, I feel really good about the group because I think enough guys will emerge to give you a nice core here. I can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like. I don't know if Nico Collins is going to have a great rookie year. I don't know anything. I think Chris Conley is going to be pretty good. I think you have a lot of other options to perform well at the wide receiver spot. So I think based on everything that you have as a collective group, you look pretty solid on paper. Am I wrong? The guys that we've seen come in and Alex Erickson, Chris Conley, Chris Moore, even Dante Moncrief, even Taiwan Taylor, who came in, we've all seen them do do things and do some pretty solid things in the league. You know, Chris Conley was a guy with that speed down the field. You know, Chris Moore has made, made more of his career on special teams, but he's made some key catches against us. Alex Erickson has had some definite moments uh, with the Bengals. So we've seen these guys all, you know, we know what those guys are in all honesty. I think the biggest question is together as a group, how do they all fit? Mm-hmm. What's what is what is the right fit for this group of pass catchers? And that to me is kind of the wait and see thing because I feel individually, like I've seen all these guys do good things in the NFL. So you almost don't even have to prove that to me. But together as a group, how do they how do they all fit? What's the right mix of Cobb, QT, Cooks. Like, those are the three you think you would start with, right? Well, you don't have any size with that group. So are you limited with those three guys on the field in certain areas where you can go because you don't have a big receiver there? I don't know. That doesn't bother me all that much because you do have a big receiver in Nico Collins, but it's just got to come along pretty quickly. And I've said this about Nico, Mark, a few times. And I mentioned the, the name DK Metcalf, and everybody's like, oh, John Harris just compared Dinko Collins to DK Metcalf. Here's what I mean. From a physical, freakish standpoint, Nico has that kind of physical ability. But DK went to Seattle still, the end of the second round draft pick. Nobody really knew what was there. Right. And so they were like, what's his best asset? Well, he can run fast down the field and go get it off somebody's head. And so they did that. And so early in the year, that's what he did. That He was just outside the numbers, just blow and go. Just throw it deep, let him go get it. Let's start to get him in his confidence. And by halfway through the year, then they were adding different, you know, more uh, receiver, you know, more receiver routes, more interior routes, more intermediate routes to just the deep ball. So he kind of came along. That's what they did. They introduced that to him. He, he mastered that. And they introduced more and more and more. And now DK is one of the top. Five, seven, five to seven receivers in the league. Not saying Nico gets there like that, but I think the philosophy of, look, what can you get out of Nico right away? Well, you know he can you know, take the top off a of D outside the numbers and go get it off a of DB's head. Okay, well, let's see if we can't do that. Let's see if we can't add that to what we already have with all these other quick, yak type of receivers that you get them the ball in space and they can do something with it. 
Let Nico be that guy that just goes and flies downfield like DK did and see if you can't build up his confidence doing that. But to me, this group is a little bit more wait and see because I kind of need to see how they're going to all put all yeah. these pieces together. And that's the reason I would say it's a little wait and see for me. Okay. Tight ends. I know we've talked a lot about the tight ends, so we'll keep this one short. And the two categorizations are look solid on paper or I've got to see it to know. To me, the tight end group is a little bit of both. You know, I see some solid things here, but I, I got to see it to know because I feel good about Aikens, but you want to see the consistency. Farrell Brown, you know, he could do some things for you. I'll do the old football cliche. He could do some things, which is a positive <laughs> when you're speaking yeah. as a coach. Uh, Brevin Jordan, look, he's a rookie, so who knows? I mean, he could turn out to be really special. The things you were saying about Nico Collins, some of those things Brevin Jordan can do, especially yes. in the red zone, no uh, wearing, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to see it. We'd all love to see it, right? We just don't know. I mean, that that's the ultimate. I've got to see it to know. Yeah. So exactly. I, I think you'll probably be with me that this is a I've got to see it to know kind of group. Absolutely. I'll keep that one short. I, you're absolutely right. It is. How is this group going to come together? And I think you mentioned it. I think wearing is a, is a massive X factor. He's been working with Rod Taylor. He's posted that on his Instagram. They were in Atlanta or as Kahale wanted to put it at Atlanta. But the point being, he's been doing some work with Terod Taylor and you're new, new to a situation. And Terod's been new to different situations. You want to go with somebody that maybe you've grown to trust just recently. So maybe that works to Kahale's favor, but it is a definite wait and see with this group because there's a lot of talent. I think in this group, it's just a matter of who can stay healthy long enough to earn the trust of who's ever at quarterback. And I don't know. I think that's to be determined, to be honest. Well, to be determined, no doubt. But I got to see it before I'm ready to say, okay, this is how I think it's going to go. Okay. I, I don't know if we have enough time to give the defense justice, but I just want to do this because I think the secondary is definitely, a, and I've got to see it to know kind of crew. Yes. But yes. let's just look at the front seven here. And there's a lot of players that factor into the front seven. Okay. I've got 26 guys who are candidates to play. I do. I have 16 DL and I have 10 linebackers. So I have 26 guys to be candidates to play the front seven. And when you're looking at pass rush, which wow. is how I'd like to break this up, not by DL and linebackers, but pass rush and run stopping, right? Because yeah. some guys will be good at one, not at another. Maybe some guys are good at both. All right. But I think in terms of the run D, I'm feeling like they look pretty solid on paper to me. I bet they're going to be pretty good. They're going to be a lot better than they were last year. Pass rush is I've got to see it to know. I think they're, you know, they have some ingredients here, guys who can do it from time to time. And maybe it comes from different places. Maybe it's like that time Carolina led the league in sacks and they had nobody get more than uh, nine or whatever it was. Yeah. Maybe they're that kind of team. I mean, that's, that might be the upside for them. I don't know, but are you with me there that run D they should be better pass rush. We got to see it to see it, to know. You know, what's interesting about the way you, you have phrased this mm -hmm. separating those playing the run against those, which front seven player, front player, front four yeah. player, which front four player is the best playing the run and rushing the quarterback? And in the reason that in this in this group on 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 this squad right now, which player do you think is the best 
playing the run and rushing the quarterback. I mean, and the reason I bring that up, the reason I bring that up is as I look at these guys, I I'm the way you set it up. I see guys that are good against the run, need improvement, rushing the quarterback guys that are good rushing the quarterback, Charles Manahu looking right at you, not as great playing the run. It, I mean, it's all, I mean, it's, there's a separation of those particular type of players. So I'm curious to see which player becomes a dual threat and can stay mm-hmm. on the field all three downs, whether it's inside or outside. I mean, could Shaq Lawson be a player like that yes. for you? I think he could, yes. Who, who's good at both? Because you mentioned Amena Who, and then you look at Jacob Martin and people like that. But you don't want to be in third and five where you think they're going to throw it here. It's third and five. And then right. all of a sudden, it's a draw play, and boom, you have trouble stopping the run, which happens yes. to a lot of teams. But – you know, you just have to be very careful here. Look, and we'll continue that part of the conversation during another program because we have to come back and play who's better, Johnny, who's yes. better. And I've got vintage quarterback who's better. I've oh. got quarterback alma mater who's better. I've got road environment, which is tougher, and a bunch of other ones as well. Coming up yes. on who's better here on Texans Radio. It's Texans Radio, Mark Vandermeer, John Harris, keeping you company Tuesday evening. We always have fun during Tuesday nights because, among other things, we play Who's Better, the game that has swept the nation and taken over the world, at least in my mind. Johnny, you ready to play? (laughs) Yes, let's do it. Okay. Who's better? Let's do it this way. Kind of a who's tougher or which is tougher road environment that the Texans will face this year. I'm going to give you these choices, Buffalo, Cleveland, Indy, and I'll put an honorable mention if they're going good by the time the Texans get there, because if they're going good, it's a tough place to play Arizona. The Texans play the NFC West and they dodge the bullet in that they don't have to go to Seattle, which is brutally tough. That's a really tough environment. Everybody knows that. Uh, I don't think the Rams are that tough, but it's the new stadium. So who knows? We've never seen it full before. It might be ridiculously tough if the Rams have it going on, because we all know they're going to be fair weather fans there in Southern California. But I think I'm right here. Right, Johnny, where I say Buffalo and Cleveland. I'm not going to throw Miami in there because Miami is going to be decorated with a lot of battle red Texans fans. Yeah. But Buffalo, Cleveland, maybe Indy. What do you think? Not going to say Indy Mm -hmm. at all. Oh, which, by the way, we haven't even talked about the Jaguars building. Uh, it's called the hunt. It's like our building the Texans. We haven't even talked about the fact that the Jaguars draft board was posted on the yeah. video. And you can see clearly that their third round pick, Andre Cisco, was given a higher value than the Colts first round pick, Quiddy Pay. That's a story for a different time. Um I won't say Arizona and I won't say Indy, even though we've been to Indy a lot. Indy has its moments. But Cleveland been to twice. And last year, the crowd was limited, obviously, due to COVID. But they were awesome. They yeah. were awesome, even in a small, smaller, less populated setting. So I'm going to say Cleveland number two. I'm going to say Buffalo number one. I loved going to Buffalo in 2015. Fans are right on top of you. We saw, not only that, we saw them travel. So if they travel the way they did to our playoff game in 2019, I know what it's going to be like if that team is as good as everybody thinks it's going to be in 2015. I think Buffalo 
is the tougher road environment. But I love going there. I love their stadium. I love how the fans are right on top of you. I think it's such a cool environment. And I know there's been talk about a new stadium up there. I've talked to Sal about that. Sal Paccio, solid reporter for the Bills. He doesn't really want to move. He likes that environment too. So I'm actually looking forward to going to Buffalo. Also because it's in October and not December. If you're from Western New York, there's just something about it. I know Seth Payne got out of there. But if you're from Western New York, you feel really great about where you live. It's a dynamite yeah. place in the summer, obviously. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, the, the people home is home. All right. If you're from there, you're from there. OK, let's do this. Who's better in the case of who's worse? What's the Ooh. worst team? What's the best chance to get a win among these three teams on the Texans schedule? Oh, boy. And it's based on where you'll actually where you actually think they'll be at when you play them. Now it's early for the Jags and Carolina. It's week one and week three. The Jets are later on, but those three teams, Jets, Carolina, Jags, I think the Jets are the automatic answer here. However, you know, you brought in Rob Sala to coach the team. You brought in baby LaFleur to coach the offense. You drafted Zach Wilson. Are the Jets going to be better? Is it automatic that the Jets are the worst team of the three? You're really going to put that on them, even though the Jags had the number one pick in the draft, meaning they had a worse record? Thoughts? Hmm. I think the Jags will be better later in the year than in week one, which – Oh, boy, this is tough. I I think the Jets are going to have their struggles. If Zach Wilson struggles, I mean, think about how much is on his shoulders. There's – if he struggles or he gets nicked up in any way, shape, or form, you're talking about a roster that still has plenty of holes, and the backup quarterbacks are Mike White and James Morgan. So if Zach Wilson is either A, not getting it done, B, nicked up, that's that roster's not where it needs to be yet. Now it's, it's going to get there. And if Zach Wilson is playing well, that's a tough team. I'm going to say Jets. I think you're right. It is the, is the easier answer. But I just feel like that offensive line isn't all the way put together. They've got a, they've got a few dudes on defense, but not enough yet. But if Zach Wilson's playing well, then all bets are off. And that that Jets team could be Man, getting there a whole lot quicker than we think. If Trevor Lawrence struggles, that is going to be so scrutinized. And yes. so many people will have been wrong. And now, look, if he struggles as a rookie, so what? But yeah. we've seen so much early success from rookies lately. You know, at least early flashes, at the very least. Yeah. That right. it puts a lot of pressure on these guys to perform right away. Once they get yeah. into the lineup. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. All right. Who's better? Let's continue to play. So with the Texans quarterbacks in the building currently, who's better as far as their alma mater at producing Ooh. NFL quarterbacks? Okay. First of all, let's go to, let's go to Florida Ooh. where Jeff Driscoll's from. And okay. some of the guys who have come out of there, like Rex Grossman. Hey, he's been to a Super Bowl with the bears, yeah. right? Yeah. Shane Matthews. Jesse Palmer, he was good on The Bachelor, right? Yeah, he was. Uh, I don't know if I will let you include Cam Newton as a <laughs> as a Florida quarterback. Ooh, that's tricky. Okay, not really. I, I would, I would. You know me. I would not because he did not cut his teeth there. He right. All right, stole a computer and then left. 
Stanford, John Elway, Andrew Luck, and it doesn't stop there, Johnny. It doesn't stop there. Did you say Jim Plunkett? Jim Plunkett. Uh, Trent Edwards. Uh, I wasn't really going with Trent Edwards, was I? John Brody. That sort of no slouch out. John Brody, okay? Yeah. All right, let's go to Virginia Tech here for a moment. Mm-hmm. Michael Vick. Very good. Terod Taylor. About this one? He didn't start much, but man, Don Strock played. Oh, one of the great yeah, that's right. 41-38 overtime. Uh, San Diego beating Miami. He came off the bench to throw for a gazillion yards. Don Strock. I think I just answered my own question. Who's better as far as their alma mater producing NFL quarterbacks? It's Stanford. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be. I mean, with Elway, Plunkett, two number ones overall, uh, two number one overalls, and then in uh, Super Bowl championships. So, yeah, it's it's got to be those two. Oh, and then Andrew Luck was number one overall. That's, wow, three number one overall picks. Oof. Thankfully, uh, Andrew Luck did not win a championship. Thankfully. But it's, it's got to be Stanford. Just for fun, can I throw Clemson in there and just say, all right, um, Steve Fuller, Charlie no. Whitehurst, no. check down Charlie, no? <laughs> Clipboard Jesus? No. No. Okay. All right, I won't do that. That's not – I mean, not yet. Now, it it could be – it could be, depending yeah, on what Trevor does, eventually, and what right. DJ does, but that's down the road. Oh, I don't want to have to pronounce that so much. Okay, that was my question. And it wasn't a very good one, but here's a good one. Okay. This is a tough one. And I, I really hate even to do a who's better on this one. This is the vintage okay. quarterback who's better of the week. And it's Dan Fouts versus Warren Moon. Oh, both Hall of Famers. And look, we could go about this in the way of who oh. furthest in the playoffs, which is Fouts, two AFC championship games. Yeah. Moon never went past the divisional round. Moon threw for a bazillion yards and was phenomenal. And Moon, I got to give him credit here. He showed the world how ridiculous it is. He didn't get drafted as a quarterback. And what are you doing, NFL? This guy's a huge, supreme talent. And you sent him north of the border to win five Grey Cups before he got a whiff of this league. And Lord knows what he would have done had he gotten to the NFL right away. Let's say he's starting year three. That's three more seasons of passing yards with Warren Moon and maybe better experience. Who knows? And the resume is completely different. As it is, it's still Hall of Fame on the res. But Fouts, as a pioneer, mm-hmm. made the 300-yard game a thing in this league. Just blew open the passing game in the NFL late 70s, early 80s. This is a tough one. Who's better, Dan Fouts or Warren Moon? It's it's You're right. It's a good one because you can't say, oh, who had more rings? I'm still going to say Warren Moon. I think Warren Moon will go down for me, at least from what I've seen, as one of the most, one of the five most talented quarterbacks, just physically gifted, throwing the football yeah. that I've ever seen. It was beautiful. Incredible. Yep. Uh, absolutely unbelievable thrower of the football. Now, you can go through the different machinations of what happened to the Oilers in the playoffs and you know, flip the two guys, put Dan Fouts with the Oilers during run and shoot and put Warren Moon with <laughs> Jefferson and Winslow. Now that would get kind of interesting. So 
there are always those sort of sort of questions. I think in a little bit more balanced environment, Warren Moon would have gotten the championship at some particular point. I just think he is as gifted throwing the football as very few have ever seen. So I'm going to go Warren Moon. Fouts did with Guile and Eric Coriel. I think Moon did it with physical, just unbelievable throwing acumen. So I'm going Warren Moon. Uh, not to insult the Oilers, but didn't Fouts have a lot more talent around him? I would think. Oh, yes. Yes. I think Warren got that talent at the end when they were when they were purely run and shoot. But you're talking about Charlie Joyner, John Jefferson, and Kellen Winslow. I mean, and yeah. Chuck Muncie out of the backfield. I, I Monday mean, Night Muncie, you know I love him. Ridiculous. Ridiculous talent. And James I'm Brooks also Moon. in the backfield. Yeah, no slouch. Oh, Second time I've said no slouch. All right, so it's a tough one. I agree. If GMs are picking a team, they're picking Moon because the ceiling is so much higher in appearance and all of that. Uh, The ball was so pretty. Fouts threw an ugly ball, let's be honest. But it got there. It got there. So it's a fun one to debate uh, who's better, Fouts or Moon, in our vintage quarterback question of the week. Coming up, Sean Pendergast's tweet. Who's the most hated team among Texans fans? We disagreed. We'll debate and discuss next here on Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you on Texans Radio. Okay, as we said at the top of the show, Sean Pendergast tweeted about which team Texans fans hate most, and he gave multiple choice. Cowboys, Titans, Colts. Cowboys lead the way, running away, which I was surprised about. I think, Johnny, what this is is Houston sports fan weighing in and the Hatred of the Cowboys is so deep that people aren't taking time to think. Okay, sports hatred. I'm a scientist of sports hatred. I understand hating the Cowboys. And believe me, I am not a Cowboy fan. You know, we've talked about this. They were very nice to us during Hurricane Harvey and the organization. And, you know, there are a lot of people who work there, like Brad Sham, that I really like. And I kind of like Dak Prescott, too, as a guy. I just don't like the Cowboys as a team, and I never root for them. Virtually never root for them to win unless they're playing another AFC South team. Uh, But as far as I think I can't speak for you, but I think you'll agree with me. The Colts and the Titans are, are far and away more hated or should be more hated by Texans fans than the Cowboys. Yes, and should be in the key word. I mean, you play the Cowboys every four years. And look, the environment in the first two that I've been on the sideline for 2014 at Jerry world. We talked about that. I think last week, the week before, and then 2018, the Sunday night game at home with hop spins. Those were two of the more intense games playoffs included that I've, that I've been on the sideline for. It's been unbelievable. The environment. I mean, the hits on that Sunday night game in 2018, late Van Esch and Jalen Smith. were looking to knock everybody out. And the defense for the Texans was doing the same. It was unbelievable. So you know that you can feel that Houston-Dallas thing in there. But that happens once every four years. Colts-Titans, those are two of the biggest games every year. And it should be the Colts. It should be the Colts. But I just looked at the poll a few minutes ago that Sean put out there, 57% say Cowboys. I don't yeah. know. I can't, I can't get with that. I can't get there. Well, some people are pointing out, well, what about the Titans? Because they're the former Oilers and you should hate them. I agree. The Titans probably should be 
the most hated team. However, you have had more success against them. They've yes. been bad for a long time until, well, actually, when you look at it, uh, Mike Malarkey, they, they were putting together winning seasons. They were just okay. It's right. funny because I was watching somehow, I, I guess it was the NFL Twitter account put on a Watt highlight reel for some reason. And like 18 of the sacks were against Zach Mettenberger. And I miss <laughs> yeah. Zach Mettenberger an awful lot. I really do, Johnny. Yes. But the Titans, it was really tough against them in the early going when they had the late Steve McNair and they were still coming off the vapors of the Super Bowl and everything. And McNair was a co-MVP with Peyton Manning. Uh, then they dipped, obviously. They had some moments uh, and bad for a long time in the early part of the teens. And now they're really good again. But with the Colts, you are nine and 30 all time. Let that sink in, fans. You're nine and 30 against the Indianapolis Colts in your history. Now, since 2015, it's been a bit better, but just a bit. It's five and seven in the regular season and five and eight when you include that playoff loss. And a playoff loss should add to the hatred. You lost to them, and it was not good here at NRG stadium. So to me, that is the most hated team. I can't stand them. And Johnny, you saw my tweet. I replied to Sean with Hasselbeck in a diaper, Rosenkopf. Yes. Luck in the regular season finale in 2012, Manning being 16 and two against your team as a cult. Manning as a cult is 16 and two versus the Houston Texans playoff loss. Oh my gosh. The oh, last two games we lost to the two yard line. Fumbled snap. Fumbling the ball in the two yard line. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I, I, it's obviously oh. the Colts that are the most hated team. You know, the biggest rival, you know, does a rivalry need to have balance to be a great rivalry? I don't know. This does not have great balance. It's been, like I said, a little bit better lately. Uh, yeah. You feel like, geez, you won all those division titles and they were in the division and, you were starting to make some headway, but here yeah. they are, you know, they're looking pretty good and, and you got to rebound again. Uh, and I know the Titans uh, for all the reasons I just said, you know, should be a more hated natural rival. I think everyone expected that when the franchise launched, it just didn't happen. As far as the Jags, I don't know. You've had so much success against them. Maybe they hate yeah. the, they probably just hate everybody because they've had a <laughs> lot of a, yeah. a lack of success against all three teams in the division over the time that the division has existed since 2002. But you mentioned five and seven in the last 12. If the Texans get either one of those fumbles into the end zone, that's six and six over the last 12. That's the epitome of a rivalry right there. God. I think this division was, you know, obviously it was tough when we got started in 02. We talked about that with Manning and with McNair and Steve McNair having great seasons back then. I just think that if it wasn't as tough a division, you got a chance to break through to 500 or above 500 a lot sooner in your own franchise's history, but it is what it is. It was a tough division and it never gets its due. It seems, but that's just the way it is. Someone's got to win super bowls and I hope it's us. Johnny, thanks so much for being on the program tonight. As always. Yeah, Mark. Thank you. We're going to watch a little practice this week. Later in the week, we'll be talking a little bit more about what's been going on on the practice field during OTAs for the Houston Texans. So we look forward to sharing some of that with you and go to the Texans app, HoustonTexans.com for ticket information on experiencing game day together and everything involving your Houston Texans. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans.